When eight people are dead and there are no witnesses, the only witnesses are dogs and babies, who knows? How do you piece that together? And that's been a challenge for DeWine from the start. It's been a challenge for all the investigators on this case. Thanks for finding the What Had Happened With Us podcast. I'm Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com. As you can probably guess from that intro, we are doing things a little differently for this episode. It's not as much about what had happened was as it is about what is happening. I sat down with Will Garby, an investigative reporter for the Dayton Daily News and WHIO-TV. Will has been following the ever-changing and oh-so-frightening Pike County murder case for about two years now. Ohio Attorney General Mike DeWine, our next governor, recently announced charges against four members of a Pike County family. Investigators say a wife, a husband, and their two adult sons murdered a family of eight in that small farm community. The shocking case has seen several twists and turns, and as Will explains, things are just now getting started. There were rumors about a drug cartel, two grandmothers have been arrested in connection with the case, an alleged custody dispute, and Will went on a hunting trip. The What Had Happened Was podcast is a product of Dayton.com, sponsored by Cox Digital Marketing. Let this trusted name in advertising help you find solutions to your digital needs. Rate us and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you find your favorite shows. Now here's my talk with Will Garby of the Dayton Daily News and WHIO-TV. What is Pike County? It's a good place where a really bad thing happened. What have you been doing with this story? Well, I was assigned to this story actually my first week with the Dayton Daily News. So it was back in 2016. They sent me out to, it was a Saturday assignment, how to Pike County where eight people had just been murdered. Really no explanation for why or how or anything like that. And it quickly kind of spiraled into what for the past two and a half years has been the most complex murder case in the state of Ohio's history. And so I've been basically covering it since since then. In the past three weeks or so, have been back there. They made arrests in the early part of November. And then this past week, I've been in Pike County covering the arraignments of a family of four. They're charged with eight counts of capital murder each. So they have death penalty specifications to be put to death. Let's back it up, though. Yeah, back it up. It's a complex case. Yeah, you totally Um, jumped like two years and five seconds. Yeah, I did. So first of all, eight people. Yeah. Eight people found dead. And what was that about? They were all members of the same family or were going to be. So one of the persons who was killed was a uh, a fiancé. Kind of three families that had victims. The Rodens, the Manleys, and the Gillies. The Gilly was the fiancé, Hannah Gilly. Dana Roden, she was a manly, uh, married into the family. And then the rest of them were all Rodens. And at four different locations across Pike County. It's a big county, but it's a very rural county. We should talk about Pike County, too, because I've seen it on a map. I know it's one of Ohio's 88 counties. Yes, it is. I don't know anything about Pike County. The people there are very kind. They're very good people. They've been very welcoming to me in the time that I've spent there. I've made some interesting friendships there. This past week, I went on a deer hunt, which was 
<laughs> pretty uh pretty like fascinating for, yeah. for someone who had never spent any time hunting it was kind of a fascinating experience but the hospitality that the people that i've met there have extended to me is pretty uncommon i mean it's, it's just very interesting and, so and like they go hey reporter you want to go deer hunting with us so here's the story so what had happened was <laughs> i was there the week of the arrest, so mm-hmm. about two weeks ago. And Josh Swigert, who's a reporter here at the Dayton Daily News, he suggested that, that I go over to this place called Richie's. And it's this little place in Piketon. It's a grocery store. Okay. And a bar and a restaurant. And it's owned by the former mayor of Piketon. A combo. I love a combo like nobody's mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. And I walk in. I sit up at the bar. This guy, two seats down from me, says, you're not from around here, are you? CD slicker. And then I'm like, no, I'm not. What gave it away? And he said it was because I had a napkin on my lap when I sat down to, when I sat down oh, to really? eat. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what gave it away. The guy's actually, he's around my age, and he and his friends were there drinking that night, and they took me across the street to the Piketon VFW, and we had a few beers and played darts, and by the end of the night, they said, if you're going to be here for a while... You ought to come on our deer hunt. Come to deer camp. And I was like... Deer camp, okay. I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea what that means. But I had gone back home, but the next night, they called me, and they were like, hey, hey, come on back to Richie's. Come on out to Richie's. So I was like, okay, well, these guys are, you know, I think I was kind of a novelty to them, right? Like, they were like, who's this guy from, you know, from the city who came out here? But I said, I already went home, but I'm going to come back. Yeah, I'll, I'll hit you up when I, when I come back. And... Went out uh, this past time and said, hey, you know, text to the one guy, let me know if you want to get a drink. He, <laughs> he says, come on out to deer camp. This is, this is the opening week of, of the deer season. I was like, all right, well, where is it? He didn't give me an address. He was like, it's at the end of such and such road. Keep on driving till you see your deer carcasses or something. And I was like, okay. So I look at it on a map. I screenshot it on my phone and send it to Josh Swigert and say, hey, if anything happens, you know where to find me. <laughs> First, I stop at the gas station. I buy a 30 rack of bush light and I get to the end of this road and I call the guy and he says, all right, you see the, you see the beat out firebird in the ditch. I like look and there's this Pontiac sitting there. I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, all right, just keep driving until you, until you reach a farmhouse. So I did and I get in there and these, and they were so welcoming, gave me food, you know, drink, had this really interesting evening and, and each of them knew the victims okay they knew the family that has been arrested in this case really through conversations with them i don't want to get into them because they were conversations that were generally off the record but as a reporter it is so valuable to be able to have conversations with people that are unguarded and conversations where you get a sense of what's going on in the community so that when you actually then go and report on something you know that it's in the right context, and you know that it is being presented in a way that you can report something that's factual, but report it completely wrong because right. it's not in the right context. But if you know what's going on behind the scenes, you know, it's really valuable. And so for me, it's been a real blessing as a reporter to be able to have these relationships with people there. Even if they're not things that we immediately go out and report on, it's helpful to know the context and what's really going on behind the scenes and what people really think about what happened and and how they feel about their county being the place that's known as the place where this massacre happened out of the blue getting back to that though we can't actually say what had happened was this time because right it's still going on what do they say happened 
The Attorney General's office, Mike DeWine, has suggested that this really boils down to a fight over custody documents and a custody battle. Jake Wagner, who has pleaded not guilty to the murders, one of the four in this family that's charged with them, he fathered a child with one of the victims, Hannah Roden. It seems that that, from what DeWine has suggested, that's the person that they could be arguing custody over, right? Like, that child is the one person. I keep thinking to myself how I believe she's four. Her Basically, all of her immediate relatives are either dead or in jail. Or in jail. Wow. Where has she been since this thing happened? She's been in state custody, and they haven't really given much detail. So so she, I believe she was with the Wagners for some time, but she's now with the state, with Children's Services, and just terribly sad. It's just one of the tragic elements of this case, which is labyrinthine and just keeps going on and on and on and has so many weird twists and turns. What do we know happened? And I know it's hard to say because this is ongoing, but what do they say happened? What is known is that eight people are dead. Right. But what is accused is that several days before the murders, one of the grandmothers forged custody documents. She's pleaded not guilty to that. The Wagners are accused of basically learning the Roden family's habits, their routines, when they were awake, when they were asleep, surveillance systems that they had on their property. Basically, what what the grand jury indictment alleges is that they closely watched the family. So they basically uh, stalked the family, doing the, surveil- the surveillance of the family. Yeah, not exactly in those terms, but but the indictment essentially says that they knew when they were there, they knew when they were gone, they knew when they were asleep, they knew when they were awake. DeWine has said it was this obsession over custody, an obsession with children. We'll see if that plays out in court. Well, one thing people say was taking out the whole family. People say, well, why would you take out the whole family if you just had a beef with one person? And one argument has been, well, (laughs) you know, those people fight you for custody. When DeWine announced these arrests, someone asked him, are you alleging that the entire family was murdered so that no one else could get custody of the daughter? And he didn't answer. DeWine just said, you know, draw your own conclusions. Were they having beef beforehand? Were they like the family's doing like a Hatfield and McCoy sort of <laughs> feud beforehand? Or was it just like this little spat over? Not a spat because obviously child custody is a major issue. We, we, we know from days after the murder, Jake Wagner did apply for custody of, of his daughter. And those documents, which the Dayton Daily News has, has looked through and, and reviewed, those documents demonstrate that... For a long time, things were good between him and, and Hannah, the mother of, of the girl. But at, at some point, that relationship really kind of cooled off. And we don't know exactly wh- what that entailed. It's my term, that cooling off. But the relationship went from basically being one where even though they weren't dating, they were still friendly and still sharing custody of the daughter to one where things had kind of stopped being a, as good as they were. But... That's it, hard to draw conclusions from uh, because it's personal relationships ebb and flow constantly for everyone. So one of the difficulties and challenges for us is not reading too much into there's such a scarcity of knowledge about mm-hmm. what happened in this case that reporters and, and those who are really following this case kind of cling to every single more so, detail uh-huh. for us stepping back and making sure that we're not reading into things. Sometimes the, the simplest explanation is the one that, that is actually true. We don't know yet, though. I mean, it's it really is for a jury to decide if it goes to trial. What we do know is that it's going to be a very long process. There are four death penalty cases 
each death penalty case will have likely its own jury out of a jury pool of probably hundreds of people. It's not clear yet if, if it's going to stay in Pike County, if, right. or if they'll move it to a different jurisdiction. And there's a possibility that a jury in this could be sequestered for three plus weeks in each case. Right. And then if there's a conviction of one of the death penalty specifications, the charge with the death penalty specification in Ohio, it's an automatic appeal. So appeals can go on for a long time. Laura Bischoff, our Columbus Bureau reporter, her reporting on the death penalty shows that there are some people in Ohio who've been on, the, on death row for three decades. It's not a quick solution. It is not. It's not. And it's an expensive one at that. I mean, it, it, what Laura's reporting found is almost in every case, it just looking at the financial aspect of it, it is more cost effective to let the person live until their natural death than it is to put them to death. It's an extremely expensive process. But yeah, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to and it's going to go on and on and on. What I think that's fascinating, too, is the state of Ohio thought that it was drug cartel, and they were coming up with all these there, theories. There were all these different theories about what it was. One thing that should be said. Dropping in really quickly here to remind you that you are listening to the What Had Happened Was podcast. And I also wanted to introduce you to Emily from Neighbors Helping Neighbors, our special sponsor this week. Now, Emily, what is Neighbors Helping Neighbors? Neighbors is a program of Cox Media Group. It's underwritten by White Allen and Diagra Women and Schultz. And it's really how we give back in our community. So we do a lot of media sponsorships for nonprofits. We try to focus in the areas of environment conservation, military support and safety, health and wellness, and children's welfare. But we accept all kinds of requests. You can do it at coxmediagroupohio.com. And we really try to do as much as we can in our community. What sort of projects have you done so far? We've done all kinds of things. We have sponsored lunches. We We've bought school supplies for area nonprofits that help distribute them to schools in the area for after-school programs. We partner a lot with the different brands that we have here, so Dayton.com, WHIO-TV, K99, all kinds of things. And we really try to have people out as MCs for nonprofit events to raise money, or we give away TV PSAs, radio PSAs. We really try to work with people to give them exposure in the community they wouldn't get otherwise. Why is that something that we want to do? Cox has been in this community for 120 years, so really getting out there is important. Even when we first started, they did a lot for the community. So I think having a huge presence the way that we do, we want to be able to give back to that. We want people to see how interested we are in helping others. So I have the best job. You know, I get to do things for people <laughs> every day. We, we really try to accommodate as many requests as we can and try to help as many different types of organizations as we can as well. So one more time, if people want to know more about Neighbors Helping Neighbors, how do they find you? They can go to coxmediagroupohio.com or they can find us on Facebook or Twitter. Thanks a lot, Emily. No problem. Now, Will is going to let us know what must be said about the Roden family. The Rodens, at one of the locations where they died, there was a commercial marijuana grow operation. And so, naturally, a lot of folks immediately thought, all right, there's drugs or some sort of element in this case. And what Dwayne said is basically, yeah, drugs have been an undercurrent in the case, but never has he, at least since the arrest, come out and said drugs were the thing in the case. I mean, it keeps going back to custody. But there were all these theories about who it could have been or what. Or What were some of the theories? Theories that it would, would have been the cartel or theory. I mean, theories that people arguing over, you know, land or any number of things that really haven't, at least as far as we can tell, panned out to be the case. And who knows how this, these folks are innocent until proven guilty. And it will be interesting to see how this plays out and what evidence comes out at trial. I feel like as a reporter who has spent a lot of time looking into this, I still only know the tip of the iceberg as to what really happened April 22nd, 2016, in the middle of the night 
four different locations. Dogs were there. DeWine has said all along that whoever did this planned it well in advance and It'll be fascinating to see how this how this trial plays out. What about the time? Like, do they know like the order in which it happens? Like, they say like they went here first, they went here second. Because one of the weird things too is it was a couple who died and their baby was between them. Yeah, yeah. Um, a four day old infant was spared in this. They haven't revealed the chronology of who went to what house when. Each of the four: Angela, Billy, George the Fourth and uh, Jake, each of them is charged with um, burglary in connection to the four locations where it happened. Draw from that what you will. Each of them is charged with burglary along with the these eight counts of murder, along with a number of other different charges. It'll be interesting to see if investigators know who went to what house first, or if that's something that's still not known, but they are able to piece it together that the act was committed who knows? I mean, it, 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 there's there's so much that just still isn't known. And I think that that, for me, as a reporter, and I think for our readers, too, I mean, that's something that is so compelling about this story is that it's cliche to say, like, murder mystery. But literally, there's, like, when eight people are dead and there are no witnesses, the only witnesses are dogs and babies, who knows? How do you piece that together? And that's been a challenge for DeWine from the start. It's been a challenge for all the investigators on this case who've worked really hard on this case and tens of thousands of hours into the case there's so much of it you just start from scratch and figure it out and everyone i mean so many people in the county have been interviewed on this people across the country and this was a i think four dozen different agencies worked on this across 10 different states in canada um the wagners the family that's, that's now charged they about a year ago dewine asked the public hey do you have any information on weapons or ammunition or things like that and the family had moved to Alaska by that point. I mean, they had just <laughs> kind of up and moved to Alaska. And Josh and I got a hold of their pastor there and had a, an interesting interview with him. You know, people are kind of in, incredulous that these people have been charged with this. Really? Yes. Some so people what do you are, know about them? Aren't. What do you know about the Wagners and the Rotens? The Wagners, Frederica Wagner, is Billy Wagner's mom. She's the grandmother in this case. One of two grandmothers who have been charged on allegations that they lied to a grand jury, helped cover up the murders. And in Angela's mom's case, uh, Rita Jo Newcomb, she's also accused of forging custody documents. But Frederica Wagner is an interesting person. She is known in the community as, as someone who, ha one, has a very large farm. It's the Flying W Farm. And they have for lack of a better word, I guess they're exotic animals. Okay. So they have like miniature horses, dressage horses, uh, like Vietnamese pot-bellied pigs. She has her own breed of mastiff dog that she developed. She also is the executive director of a group home for the mentally disabled. We had a report this past week that, that she... <laughs> has asked to go off house arrest. She, she's pleaded not guilty to, to these charges against yeah. her, but she's on house arrest now. And so she basically wants off house arrest to be able to go to this group home where, where she has been the executive director since the mid-1980s. So she has all of these different businesses that she runs or is part of and has all of these land holdings. And prosecutors in this have, have flat out said she has access to large sums of capital. Her attorney paints the, a picture of someone who is a devout Christian, has, to use the terms that he used, uh, has lived her life about as close to the cross as anyone can, and is has 
no part in these people's deaths and in fact mourns, mourns their, their loss dogs, as well. Right. Um, so it's we're learning a lot about these people, but every time I feel as though we we know so much, then all of a sudden, like in any part of the case, I mean, new stuff, new stuff keeps coming out. It, it, there's so many twists and turns, and it's been fascinating to report on. What are they like though, as people? Did you get a sense of that at all from like the folks you talked to at maybe the bar or anything? Like who these yeah, people were? So, so we actually drove out. Ty Greenlee is a Dayton Daily News photographer, and I drove out to South Webster, which is where the Wagners had been living for the past couple of months, and. It's a very small town, and we spoke with uh, the owner of the one convenience store there, and uh, this was a day or so after the arrest. She was stunned. I mean, she was stunned. She she goes, these people come in, they buy, you know, they buy sandwiches, they buy, you know, cigarettes, they have always been nice. It's interesting, though, I've tried personally to try and stay open to all of, you know, to not make judgments or decisions in in how I'm going to report things and let the process play out in a kind of an unbiased way. And I think that's the way to report about it. But the people who know them have, you know, various accounts of them. Some folks say they're, again, these good Christian people. Others have pointed out to a host of lawsuits that they have on a number of different issues with their animals and and other things and and their land holdings. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, they have, if you look at the courtroom, the Rodens, the Gillies, and the Manleys pack the courtroom gallery on the prosecution side, and about three people show up each time for the for the uh, Wagner for the Wagners. That's interesting, right there. Yeah, people you talked to were they seem to be more friendly with the Rodens or the Wagners? When I say, well, yeah, well, it, it um, we spoke once with a woman who worked with Dana Roden, described them the Rodens as just. Just really good. Good is a is a vague term. Like right. very friendly, good-hearted people. Kind of like you know, give the shirt off your back type people. But it is easy in in death to romanticize people, right? And, and so we see um, that all the time, especially in in what is such a traumatic case. And I think to understand people in in their full context, you know, obviously it's difficult to talk about. But you know, these these people, they did have a commercial grow operation at their place. There there were. Like everyone, they weren't perfect, but the thing that Mike DeWine and the thing that the county sheriff keep going back to is no one deserved to die the way that they did, and no matter what you've done, you don't deserve to die like that, and that's kind of one of the thing, one of the many things that has stuck with me throughout this whole... And the way they died, too, was basically just gunned down, basically. Someone was sleeping. In their sleeping. sleep. I mean, someone yeah. were sleeping. Um, it, it's it, from what we understand, maybe one or two of them were actually, you know, awake. But there were silencers on, uh, from from what we have been told in terms of evidence, silencers on the, on the firearms. And, uh, yeah, I mean, basically killed in the middle of the night in their sleep. Just like execution style. So this is yeah. like, this is people who just obviously knew they were around guns, which doesn't really mean mm-hmm. anything if you're talking about a place where everybody probably has. Yeah, a gun. I mean, so one, one of the things there is like, and I've had some interesting like political conversations with people there. So Pike County, even though it's it's Southern Ohio, and a lot of people would imagine is really Republican place, it's historically a Democratic stronghold in the state, and it is. It, they voted twice for Clinton, twice for Carter, and and it is a place that yeah, it, it's like Ted Strickland country. Right. It's 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 blue collar, democratic, and guns are a common part of life there. 
for a variety of things. I mean, for like after the murders, the county sheriff told Roden family members, yeah, stay armed. He encouraged them to be armed. If you have a county that is so big that that and a finite number of deputies to you know respond to things, yeah, you, you keep yourself armed. But the interesting political conversations I've had, one guy I was talking to was like, yeah, I I have guns, I I hunt, but I think that it's you know it's time for more stringent uh, gun laws. Other folks, oh, that's interesting. Other folks have had you know other opinions about like disagreements with how to implement that. But a lot of the folks I've talked to there are like, yeah, we recognize that guns are a, an important and vital and, and common part of our lives. But you go through all of this training to get a driver's license. Um, you can just go buy, you know, basically go, go buy, buy it. You can get a concealed carry license, but you can go buy a gun. So I've had a lot of those interesting political conversations as well that are a lot deeper than just what people in the cities would imagine is kind of a monolithic one myopic viewed place. There and that's are, the part about it too. When you get to start talking to folks, you oh realize yeah. you can't really paint people with a broad stroke. It, it reveals for me one of what, what I think is one of the biggest divides in the country. You know, the, the country has a lot of divides across different lines, across party, across race, across any number of different things. But one of the, I think, one of the most overlooked divides and one that is really driving the country apart is the divide between urban and rural and how people understand life. Right. Because the people in Pike County, Pike County Democrats can be a lot more conservative than Democrats in Montgomery County or Dayton. But, um, you know, they, they still share a lot in common. Republicans do too. But the people in Pike County see things a lot alike. And understanding those differences, I think, can go a long way to making the country a better place. You kind of said earlier that, you know, when you first came back to Dayton, because you went to UD, you were an intern at the paper for a while, mm -hmm. and then you went off and worked somewhere else for a worked while. Worked in Iowa. Worked in Iowa. Mm -hmm. Where did you think the story was going to go? Do you have a sense it's of what... so interesting. Yeah. At first, I kind of felt like... <laughs> you kind of felt like, yeah, well, they'll figure this out, right? You thought eight people dead. How could you not find who did this immediately? And it was tense. Then. I mean, in Pike County then, it was... Tense and people, you could tell people were on edge about the whole thing. Well, frightened too because they don't just murderer running right. around. But you really had no real idea where it was going to go. But slowly pieces start to reveal themselves and apparently have revealed themselves much more to investigators who were able to gather enough evidence to make these arrests and convince a grand jury that these folks should be indicted. But no, I mean, I. <laughs> In some ways, it's incredible to me that it that it there finally have been arrests in it, you know, because it seemed for a while like, well, are are they never going to arrest anyone? Kind of wonder like, okay, so this has been going on for two years now. When what? What's it? The, and and it sounds like from what Dewine has said, the last piece of evidence that they found, I want to say it was in October or so, was this homemade silencer that came back from the BCI lab the day after DeWine won the governor's race, and then the next week they went out and, and arrested these people. That's just a crazy story. It's so crazy. We've had some interesting reporting. As a reporter, it is exciting because there's a lot of good reporting going on right now from the Cincinnati Inquirer and the Columbus Dispatch and the, and, and the Dayton Daily News and, and a lot of the TV stations as well from Columbus and our, and our TV station, WHIO, and, and, and stations in Cincinnati. And so for us, it's been good to compete 
and see who who can get good stories on this. And there have been a lot of them, a lot of good reporting all around the state on this. And so that's a that's a good thing, I think. It's a good thing for journalism. And Why do you think this thing captured all of Ohio's attention like it has? Because like we were saying earlier, yeah. Pike County is a spot on the map, you know, one of 88 counties. What's the population like? Uh, it, the population of Pike County is 28,000 people. So it's a small so, county. I mean, it, it is. Yeah, it's small. Huber Heights is bigger. Right. I think that what had one the size of it eight people dead the complexity of it and it's just an intriguing case there are a lot of murders in every state's you know history but in ohio history really nothing compares to this there have been some gruesome murders in ohio um this one is different and it is and i think it's probably a mix of the size and just the tragedy of well, hey, Guil, thanks a lot for coming here and talking to us about it. I really appreciate you coming. Thank you, Amelia. Talk about a complex and tragic story. Thank you for listening in on my talk with Will Garvey. You can find complete coverage of the Pike County murders on DaytonDailyNews.com. And while I'm talking about .coms, voting for Dayton.com's Best of Dayton contest opens on December 5th and closes December 22nd. Until then, you can vote for your favorites in each of 130 categories once a day. We had more than 100,000 nominations, so the cream will surely rise to the top. The What Had Happened Was podcast was produced, edited, and written by me, Amelia Robinson, in the WHIO radio studios. The show's artwork is by my buddy, Troy Liming of TL Creates of Columbus. Until next time, bye bye